Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, and I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I am bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ear to His word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Please take your seats. Let's continue learning about total faith. That's what we have been looking at. We are taking a text of scripture today from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we are going to commence our reading from. He said, now this is a commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you. That you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it. So that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life. And that your days may be prolonged. He went on to say, O Israel, verse 3, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your might with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Then you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand that and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Uh, let me just read further down a bit, all right? Let me read beyond the, the, the ninth verse. They said, Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, great and plentiful cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied. He said, Then watch yourselves that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In verse, 12, verse 13 he says, You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. For the Lord your God is in the midst of you, in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and it will wipe you off the face of the earth. Let me stop reading here. Now, uh, before I stop reading, okay, can I do something? I want to read verse 7, verse 6 in the Amplified uh, rendering that is from verse 6 
And these words which I'm commanding you this day shall be first in your own minds and hearts. He said, then you shall wet and sharpen. You shall wet and sharpen them so as to make them penetrate and teach and impress them diligently upon the minds and hearts of your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Now, I just read that one to emphasize something there, which I will come back to in a moment. That's the amplified uh, version I read, verses 6 and 7. Now, we have been talking about total faith for quite a while. I'm beginning to perceive we're about to come to the end of the series, all right? Now, today, I want to continue something I wanted to start last time, but then I now got stuck in Psalm, in Psalm 1, all right? I want to continue from that point. But I think it's just good, now that I remember Psalm 1, to quickly read, let's go back to Psalm 1 and read it again. It's something that we all know, so we really don't need to spend much time reading it. How blessed, it says, is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be a tree firmly planted by streams of water. That's what he will be like which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. Let me stop reading here. We read this one last time. What we try to explain from there is to emphasize to us that what comes to us in life, our blessing is decided not by our desires, but where we walk, where we stand, and where we sit. All right? That's how um, it's decided. It's not that I want to receive something. It's am I walking in a manner that receives such things? Am I standing in a place, all right? And, well, because the word stand there implies, I don't want to go into the analysis of it, but implies the fact that you are searching for direction. It says stand by the old path and see. So when people stand, they are looking for how to solve problems. And he said that um, if you are walking, that's a manner of life in the counsel of, a, of the wicked. Now, if you are Walk, then if you are sitting, again, like I said, let's not start analyzing what each one means, but we know that if somebody is living a particular lifestyle, you are walking, you are setting your standards, you are operating your business, you are operating your marriage, you are operating different things, different ways, that is what decides what comes to you. It is not what you desire. I must emphasize that again. Desire is not what comes to you. It is what is a way by which you walk. Every road in life has an end. Go and read my tract, Predestination. I explained it. Predestination does not mean God has made up his mind what's going to happen. Whatever you do, that's what's going to happen. That's not what it means. Predestination means that God has created roads, and the, whatever road you are on has a destination that's already been determined. If you enter a plane and the plane is flying to Addis Ababa, you cannot say, I desire Moscow, so it's going to Moscow. It will not go to Moscow because you want to go to Moscow. What will happen is that you, if you want to go to Moscow, you look for the plane that is going to Moscow and book a flight on the one that's going to Moscow. That is how life is. Life has directions. I mean, God has set an end to every road in life. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the predominant end is that that road is a way of destruction. Are you getting my point? So, so it's not just what I want. It is this way by which you are walking. Sometimes you look at people in life, say this way this young man is behaving, the way this young girl is behaving, he or she does not plan to succeed in life. You just know it, and it's not as if you are praying. Listen, there is a man in the Bible, his name was Haitofel, 
Ahitophel was a counselor to David. The Bible says that concerning Ahitophel, if Ahitophel gave you counsel, it was as if you inquired of the Lord. It was so accurate. Why? Because Ahitophel just understood life. He understood principles. God didn't have to talk to him. God had given him wisdom. He knew how life was supposed to run. So a time came when there was a problem. He said, look, Absalom, if you want to win, this is what you are going to do. Absalom did not listen to him. Ahitophel was so sure that his counsel was good that he went home and committed suicide before David would get him. Once, listen, even David, when he heard Ahitophel was with Absalom, he had to pray a special prayer, turn his counsel to foolishness. And you know the truth? God did not listen. Because the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. God had given him that one, and God couldn't turn it to foolishness. So what did God do? God blocked the ears of Absalom. Absalom did not listen to wise counsel. What am I going to explain here? See, Ahitophel could see the paths of life. There was a way things are supposed to run. And we can learn it also and walk according to it. And that's why God said to us in that book of Jeremiah, he said, stand by the ways. He said, check for the ancient paths where the fathers walked and walk in it. He said, but they said we will not walk in it. We will walk in our own way. Listen, predestination does not mean God has said that whatever happens, this is what I have determined. Let me talk about it. Just give me five minutes before I talk about it. Uh, before I go back to the main thing I want to say. Predestination does not mean that anything God says is going to happen. And predestination does not mean that your life has been determined. No matter what you do, what's going to happen is going to happen. That's not what predestination means. Predestination means that God has arranged life in a particular way. A road has been built from here to Lagos. If you continue on that road, after some hours, you will get to Lagos. Unless you turn. That is the meaning of predestination. It doesn't mean that what I am today is what God said I must be. God has a will. God has a will. That's why he talks to people. Because if the thing came to pass without his talking, talking to people would have been a waste of time. God has a will. God's will for each person is good. God never wrote a will that Judas should betray Jesus Christ. Never wrote that will. But he said, listen to this, he said in his eternal wisdom that somebody will betray Jesus. That was compulsory. Who is a different matter. So Paul said each person can purge himself, of the, himself or herself of these things. And the person will now become a vessel unto honor. A vessel unto dishonor was Judas. That is, Judas had made up his mind. And by little things, he was a thief in the ministry. He was going to betray Jesus Christ. That is the meaning of predestination. When you make your choices, you know, you know those days I used to think life was very long. Now I know that life is not very long. You know what I'm saying, so? I look at my life. I'm not an old man yet. Yet I can start telling you stories of 30 years ago. Can you believe that? When I was young, only those two stories of 30 years ago were old people. But now I'll tell you, that, oh, I knew this guy those days. We were in school together those days. This is how he used to behave. See the way his life is now? I'm not surprised. I will tell you, listen. In 1987, he did this. And we told him this. That's 29 years ago. What am I going to say? We have observed life. We have begun to see. When I tell you things like, oh, let me not digress. Apostle, I need to preach my message for today. I came today with a message, so I need to preach it. Anyway, so this is what I'm making. All right, let me just summarize that. I want to go back to the main thing I want to say today. Why we read Jeremiah chapter um, 6. That Psalm 1 tells us, that how somebody is walking, that's the point we are getting to. Predestination does not mean that whatever God has made up his mind will happen, will happen. No, not in your life, not in my life. 
Predestination means that God has said, if you follow me, I will bless you. Walk with me and be perfect and I will bless you. So anybody that walks with him, his destiny has been predetermined. Do you get my point? Yes, but whether you walk with him or not is a choice. That's why I wrote the book, Choices, Key to Destiny. Please go and read it if you haven't read it. Choices, Key to Destiny. The way by which you steer your life to maintain a road or get off a road is by choices you make. The steering of life, all right, or the steering of life is in the choices we make. That's what it is. You choose to do this or to do that. that that's, that's how you determine whether you will go on road A or road B. But that road has been determined. Oswald Chambers said, we have the right to choose what we will do. But we do not have any power on choosing the consequences. So what's your destiny? God has written it in the scriptures. It's written there, does not make it happen automatically. That's why Paul said it like this. Seeing that we have these promises, let us purify ourselves of all defilement of flesh and spirit. That is, if we don't do that, the promises will not come to us. So the knowledge of the promises become the incentive for purification. Are you getting my point? That is, you know that this is where I'm going. One brother told me once, he said he went to the Queen's Garden. There are many of them, but one of the Queen's Gardens in London. He said when he finished seeing the place, he said, this is beautiful. If earth can be this beautiful, I wonder what heaven will be like. So, he said, for that reason, I must go to heaven. I don't know whether you get that point. He saw what human beings created, and it was so fine. He said, I'm curious. Curiosity alone, I must make it to heaven. So if you want to do anything that will make the man not go to heaven, he won't follow you. Why? He said, I have seen the queen's garden. <laughs> I don't know whether you get the point. That if human beings can make something this beautiful, I am curious to see the one that God put together in heaven. And if you read Revelations, you know. That anything you see on the earth is like filthy rags when you see what God made in heaven. Now, I'm giving that as an example. So you see, the knowledge of promises become an incentive for us to do what is right. I hope you are getting my point. But the end, where we will get to, is not determined by our desires. God says, if you want to get to that place, this is the road. You walk on that road. Now, please, I, I said that last time. And please, if you are not around, please try and get the CD. Brian, get, get the CD or get to the website and listen to the messages over there. All right. The Lord is good. Now, where we actually were, go, where we were going last time, like I said, is trying to get to the issue of... Um, the atmosphere for faith. We have been talking on total faith, and today I want to now explain properly what I mean by the atmosphere or the ambience. I think that's a better word. The ambience for faith, or the ambience of faith. Who knows English? Which one is better? Ambience for faith or ambience of faith? Okay, if you say for, put up your hand. If you say off, put up your hand. Ah, off, we know. All right, so we'll use ambience of faith if English is decided by democracy. <laughs> but it's not the way it is. It's not democracy. All right, the Lord is good. All right, so what I'm going to say by that, however, is this, okay? Let's just get down to that. That the atmosphere around you affects your faith. Let me quickly get into the message. The atmosphere around you affects your faith. You, the kind of people that you surround yourself with, they determine whether God can move in your life or he can't move in your life. 
Let's start with that. It's not a joke. I said before, faith is a spiritual quantity. Faith is a spiritual tangibility. It's something that can, that can be measured. What that means, therefore, somebody can come into your life and steal your faith. It's not as if, oh, my faith is just there. Faith is not something that's part of your heart and it is there. No, faith is a spiritual substance that's poured into your heart and it can leak. A man can be of strong faith today and is not of strong faith tomorrow. Sometimes the Holy Spirit comes upon you and puts what I call volatile faith into your heart. Why don't I use the word volatile? It works. Boom! It works for an hour. It works for 10 minutes. It works for 5 minutes. You receive something strong from God by it. After that, the faith is gone. And you look back, how did I do that? It was a manifestation of the Spirit. And that's what you find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. One of the manifestations of the Spirit is called faith. God can pour faith into your heart. It works for a brief period and then it's gone. Faith is a substance. It's a spiritual thing. What I'm going to emphasize is that your vessel may leak if you're not careful. It's your responsibility to patch the vessel and make sure that your faith does not leak. Because faith is a spiritual substance. If it's abundant in your heart, you speak words. And those words will have effect. You do not even realize you're praying. We looked at this example of the Lord Jesus in that Mark chapter 11. He just looked at a tree, just said something negative. Now listen to this. He just said something negative about the tree, and the tree died. No matter how little our faith is, if 140 million people say negative things about the head of state, he will die. Maybe not physical death. Economically, he will die. Wisdom-wise, he will die. Purpose-wise, he will die. You will find a situation in which the cabinet won't make any sense. And we'll be blaming them. We say so that this government is clueless. God said, no, all of you rose up and spoke negative words. And they lost the ability to do something good. They now say, we said it. And it's in that one, you are right. You said it. But not as if you predicted right. No, but your words created it. We'll talk about that again today. Because it's very important. I made a statement last time. Let me say it again. If Jesus disguised himself as a politician and wanted to rule our country today, the way I've seen most Nigerians do, he can't do much. People think, no, he's Jesus, he can't do anything. Go to his hometown, Mark chapter 6. He could not do any mighty work because the people were full of unbelief. Anytime he wanted to do something great, he surrounded himself with the right people. He didn't just go around doing mighty work, anyhow. <laughs> no. Um, Jairus' daughter was sick. When it was time to pray for her, you know what he did? He selected... Let's, I think we should read that story again. We, we read it last time, so I won't read everything. But that's one of the main things we want to read today. Mark chapter 5. Uh, because we read it last time, <clears throat> I'll just really get into it. But it's a story we know well, just because we're going to learn a lot from it. That's why I decided to read it again. Mark chapter 5. But to save time, I'll rush. From verse 1, the Bible says that um, Jesus crossed over again in the boat to the other side. When he did that, a large crowd gathered around him. In verse 22, one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and, and seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him, and the large crowd was following him and pressing him 
pressing in on him. Then we know the story of, that followed the story of the woman with the issue of blood. And that caused a little bit of delay. In verse 35, when he was still speaking, they came from the house of this Jairus man and said to him, Your daughter has died, so no need to trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, overhearing what was being said, what was being spoken, said to the man, Do not be afraid any longer. Only continue to believe. I emphasized that last time. Literally, that's what he said. Only continue believing. And then, notice now, let's start from verse 37. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. So him, three people, Peter, James, John, they were the only ones that went. And then when they got to the house of the synagogue official, that is, of Jairus, he saw a commotion and people weeping loudly. In verse 39, he said to them, why all the noise? No need to weep. The child has not died, but is asleep. He was speaking from his own end. If you are going to wake somebody up, so as far as you are concerned, the fellow is asleep. As far as they were concerned, the girl was dead. Because they could not wake her up. Are you getting my point? Good. Then they began laughing at him, a sign of their own unbelief. But putting them all out. Now, that's where I got here. He put all of them out. Then he took along the child's father, the child's mother, Peter, James, and John, just five people, and he entered the room where the child was. Then taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha, come. Which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. Let me stop here. The girl that was dead rose up to life again. Now, please, we began this last time, and that's the main message for today. Ambience of faith. The ambience that allows faith to flourish. The ambience that produces faith. You must, remember we also read from that Proverbs chapter 4, because of time, now, I don't want to do too much reading. He said, guard your heart with all what? Diligence. The literal Hebrew says, guard your heart above all that is guarded. Now, let me use, you know, I manufacture words once in a while, Right? Guard your heart above all that is guardable. That's my manufactured English. Guard your heart above all that you think should be kept secure. Guard your heart. That's what the Bible says. Solomon was speaking. It is so crucial that your heart is protected. He said from it flows forth the issues of life. What is going to come to you in life is a result of the thing that your heart can receive and the thing that your heart can therefore produce. Faith comes from the heart. He said, well, the heart will believe, resulting in righteousness. For that reason, you must guard that crucible of faith. You must guard it jealously. Because faith can be leaked. Faith can be corrupted. Faith can be made ineffective by the environment that you are in. The Lord Jesus was going to pray for this girl. And he understood spiritual things. And he said simply, I can't go with, at this point, I can't go with Andrew. I can't go with Philip. I can't go with um, uh, Thomas. I can't go with all these other people. Because the net effect, the faith in the environment, will be lower than that which is required to raise this girl from the dead. I like the story I read from, from um, Corey Blake, just to illustrate. He said one day, his daughter fell from upstairs, hit her face on the floor, and died. And he was not going to accept that. He wasn't going to accept it. 
So by the time I got there, her teeth were knocked out, face had been, you know, pushed in. It was disfigured, the girl was thoroughly injured, and she was dead for all that he knew. So he took the girl, said, you ain't going anywhere. And he began to pray. His way of praying for the dead is, you shall live and not die. That's what he says. So he put the girl up against the wall and spoke to her, you will live and not die. Don't think it was one minute too. He was there, if I remember, for over 20 minutes. The story is that his wife came in. When he saw the, the wife, told her, get out if you can't believe. Just drove her away neat. Go outside. Don't stay here if you can't believe. Let me add my own words. Don't spoil my faith. It's bad enough that I'm holding the girl up. I can see that she's thoroughly injured and dead. Don't come. It's, that's enough for me to fight against. I cannot fight your own unbelief breathing down my neck. The woman was wise. She left. He did that for, I forgot, maybe almost 30 minutes until the girl sneezed blood and everything on his face. And the girl is alive here today. <laughs> I like that story because the man, he, said, he just told the wife, just looked at the wife, get away from here if you can't believe. John G. Lake said once, he was in South Africa ministering. He went to look for Elias Letwaba. I think it was Letwaba, one of his work, co-workers, a native. He got to his house. Where's Letwaba? Letwaba is not here. He went to minister to a little child that fell and was injured. So he said when he got there, he got into a hut, crawled into the hut, and he saw the little child lying down. So he has, because an American, he's better enlightened, he's trained. He picked up the child and realized that the child's neck was broken. He said, he said oh, poor Letwaba doesn't know the difference between a broken neck and an intact neck. As far as he understood, that child was going to die. But Letwaba was there praying. So when he walked in, he said he looked at the child, and Letwaba looked at him and realized that Jilek didn't have the faith. And Jilek, being a man of understanding, he just backed down. He told him, I will wait outside. He didn't tell him anything. He did not tell him the neck is broken. He didn't argue about how difficult this one is to do. He just said, I will wait outside. So he went under a tree and was just there praying. He said, let me give them some distance. And he lay down there and fell asleep. Around 3 a.m. during the night, the toba came and woke him up. Let's go. He said, how's the child? He said, the child, the child is fine. He rushed back into the pot and picked a perfectly well child up. He said he lifted the child up to heaven and started praying for himself. And said, God, please, Send down your fire to burn every unbelief in my soul. That is the real Listen, that this was a, you know, this was an African man who didn't go to school. He didn't understand all these technicalities of this is this, this is that. That's why sometimes it's no good to know too much and hear too much. Are you are you getting my point? Sometimes too much information throws away your faith. The man didn't know the difference, and he stood there. Until God worked a miracle in the life of that child. Now, I've been saying something again and again. Faith is so powerful. If I say this, it will shock some people until I explain it. That even if God does not want to do something for an individual, and that individual had the ability to get the faith for it, God will be compelled to do it. 
Even if he doesn't want to. You say, what are you saying? The Bible says it clearly. God spoke to Isaiah. I don't want these people to believe and I will be forced to heal them. He said, quickly go and prophesy so that their ears will be deadened. He said, if not, <laughs> are you getting my point? That's how powerful faith is. And what I'm saying again is that if God wants to do something, if he doesn't find faith in the heart, it becomes difficult for him to do. What he does for people is to pour a flash of faith into them. And there's a problem with flashes of faith. When the faith goes away, the result is often lost. Like I said, this is how I explain it from the scriptures. There was a woman that Elisha got to know in Shunem. And that woman was so nice to Elisha. He said, what do we do? She doesn't need anything, she said. The Elisha's servant said, she does not have a child of her own, a son of her own. That's what he said, literally. He said, okay, call the woman. He said, by this time, next year, you will embrace a son. The woman said, it's a lie. What, what did she say? Don't deceive me, man of God. Do you know, according to the word of the prophet, I believe it was so powerful. It was so powerful. That woman conceived by fossil. Gave birth to a child. The child began to grow. But her faith could not carry him. The, one day, the boy woke up in the morning, shouted in my head. He collapsed when he got back home and died. When Elisha was told, Elisha came back and began to struggle because he was the one bringing this boy up by his faith. But he's living with his mother. <laughs> to raise the boy from the dead, from the dead was a oh God. The man prayed all kinds of prayers. I want to adapt it to modern day. He got there, he laid hands. Nothing happened. He poured anointing oil. Nothing happened. He spoke in tongues. Nothing happened. He joined hands. Nothing happened. Ah! The man said, so he just collapsed on the boy. He used every contact he could. He laid his head down to his feet. The boy was already growing. And laid his whole body on the boy. And God said, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> All the anointing transmissible, he transmitted into the boy. Finally, the boy's body began to warm, and the boy sneezed, and the boy rose up from the dead. But told the boy, lie down there. I didn't say that literally, but I'm going to bring out something. He now went and called the mother. He said, now go and take him up for yourself. That is, he had to demand that that woman exercise a bit of faith for herself. That's why he said, go and take him up for yourself. Why am I telling this story? To let us know that faith is so crucial. So when God wants to bless people, often he just drops a flash of faith. Just a flash. But why does he not do it so often? Many times when they get something by that flash, they lose it as soon as that flash is gone. They lose it. And that's why he demands that people build up their faith so that they can hold the blessing that he's pouring into their lives. Sometimes that flash of faith does something for people. That lets them know this is possible. And that boosts up their own personal faith after that. You are getting what I'm explaining here. But the fact is that this faith is so crucial. So he said, guard your heart with all diligence. Guard it. Guard it with all diligence. The Lord Jesus, when he wanted to go and raise that girl from the dead, let me say, you, you know when I said that thing, some people say, eh, are you serious? That Jesus, if he was the head of state, he wouldn't be able to do much for us? I'm not, I'm not joking. 
Because it's not just about one man being above. It's about people, the faith that is rising up from their hearts. That's the issue. It's not about who is on top. It is the people that the fellow is ruling. How are they behaving? What kind of spiritual forces are they releasing into the atmosphere? When the Lord Jesus now wanted to do, raise this girl up, ah, he checked his environment. I don't know what... I didn't raise anybody from the dead before this time. I, you know, I'm not very sure of the chronology of the... We know the people he raised, but I don't know whether it was before this. But the fact was that, listen, though, he looked and he knew if the 12 had gone with him, that girl would have been buried. If the people in the household had stayed there, that girl would have been buried. He had to cut off every bit of unbelief around. He had to create an ambience of faith around himself. When I read the story of, that, of the father in, in that chapter 5, of that statement he made in verse 36, he said, don't be afraid, keep on believing. The man had some faith that was of assistance. In fact, there's a story I heard Ken Hagen teach. You know I listen to him a lot. And it's really, I've learned a lot about faith and especially manifestation of the Spirit from him. He said he went to do... Normally he's used to praying for people, getting healed. He had a special healing anointing. He went to a particular church to go and minister. And he prayed and prayed and prayed for people. Few people received anything. For if it was difficult... For Jesus to work miracles without the proper ambience around him, what do you think your life would be like if the ambience around you is not appropriate? That's what I'm going to emphasize. What do you think it would be like for you? If the Lord Jesus were following, when he wanted to do great things, he had to have the right environment. I'll get practical as we go on. Now, one thing I want to explain, again, just to emphasize that again, let's look at this story. I think, I don't know whether I quoted it last time, but let's just look at it now. Also about the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Let's really go to, just down to the book of Mark chapter 8. Just flip a, few, flip a few pages and you will get to chapter 8 in that book of Mark. A man came to the Lord Jesus. Now verse 22. My Bible says, And they came to Bethsaida. And they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. The man was blind. They wanted him to touch him and heal him, of course. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Now I'm in verse 23. So taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village. Now that's what I was taught. Let's pause first. He did not pray for the man where he was. He brought the man out of the village. Did you notice that? Without telling, discussing in details how I got to understand this, the simple reason why he did that was that the unbelief inside the village was so great, Jesus couldn't do anything inside there. He went to his hometown. That is, if he saw a seriously sick person he wanted to heal in his hometown, in Mark chapter 6, if we go back a few verses, a few chapters, he had to travel with the person somewhere else. Listen, even though the person himself wanted to believe, I don't know whether you're getting the point. Even though the person himself wanted... Okay, I was telling the story earlier, all right? Can I remember? I, I got interrupted. Yes. Can I give a story? He said that he was, um, he was ministering. By the time he finished ministering, most people he laid his hands on, nothing happened to them. Maybe like 10% received anything. 
At the end of the day, he went to pray. Let me make a long story short. Next day he came, said that the Holy Spirit told him, the Lord told him by a special, a special manifestation, that next day when you want to pray for people, don't pray with everybody watching. That there's too much unbelief in your atmosphere. Take the people aside and pray for them one by one. You know, you come to the front, and then you say, okay, what is wrong with you? And they can visibly see what's wrong with this fellow. He said, don't do that. Take them to his side and pray for them one by one. Including the host pastor and his wife. They are not allowed to come there. It turned out later that they were the major source of unbelieving spirits. He found out much later. You can get some of his messages, you'll find these things inside. I'm saying all of this to let you know that the environment you are in affects your faith. You can't be believing God for divine health. You go to a church where they preach that it has passed away, and you keep on going because it's your grandfather's church. You know, people don't know. They think religion is about um, identity, that is Christianity. Many people go to churches, they don't believe what they are doing there, just because this is our great-grandfather's church. Actually, you are deceiving yourself. Your grandfather's church is a shrine. <laughs> because I don't know where you cut off the thing. One day, your, I mean, your great-grandfather that had the shrine, your grandfather left the shrine. Then you have now gone to the shrine of your own grandfather and you don't want to go away. Don't worry, your children will go. Listen to me. <laughs> You, you know, what I'm going to emphasize is that people think that, you know, it doesn't matter. At least I know what I believe. It matters. What they don't believe is affecting what you believe. That's what I'm going to emphasize. Don't think it doesn't matter. It does. What they don't believe is affecting what you believe. I heard a story, a man that they ministered to powerful healing. He got, he, he, he got healed from his chair, I think he had his. I, I think he had arthritis that crippled him entirely. They prayed for him. This man got well. His pastor came to see him later. By the time his pastor left, he was back to the wheelchair. And when his pastor was coming, the pastor knocked on the door. He was the one that went and opened the door for the man. Walked up there by himself. But when that one was done with telling him that, what do you mean? The days of miracles are over. The man couldn't get up to tell the man bye bye. And he died there. What other people believe affects you. That is what I'm trying to emphasize. Let me tell you the truth. Faith is not how you feel. It's not I just, I just, I just know that I believe. Many of those times, you just know what you desire. What is actually working as a spiritual force inside you, you don't even know for sure. You're working by assumption. Some of the greatest killers of faith in life, individuals, are friends and parents, relatives. I used to wonder why, uh -uh, your mother that carried you for nine months, who the angel spoke to, came to you, Jesus, and said, come, I want to talk to you. And Jesus did not answer her. I don't mean to criticize, but if anybody said that Jesus always listens to Mary, the person does not know the Bible. <laughs> You don't know the scriptures. I've heard people preach, you know, background of Catholicism, that um, 
If you ask Jesus for something, you don't, he doesn't hear. You ask his mother. <laughs> How rubbish is that? Nobody. Nobody is kinder than Jesus. Mary does not understand what they call kindness, where Jesus is. She doesn't understand it. The Bible says clearly, Jesus said, no one took my life from me. I laid it down by myself. You're talking about kindness. We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In that door, he was rich. But for our sake, he became poor. You want to know kindness? Talk to the Lord Jesus. I've had different testimonies, some from people I know personally, who have had visions of the Lord. And I asked them, I remember this particular person, what does it look like? He says it's difficult to describe, but look into his eyes, it's as if you are drowning in love. <laughs> some say it's like a well with no end. Well of love. Listen, what am I saying all of these things? There was a time he was somewhere preaching. They came. They said, your mother is looking for you. He didn't get up to go out. Your brothers are looking for you. He refused to answer them. I was wondering that. At least, you know, just be nice. Courtesy. You know, courtesy. Your mother is outside. Eh? Your mother is outside. My mother is outside. Please, guys, I'll come to the message in a moment. I'm coming. Mama, what happened? I hope there's no problem. Jesus didn't answer he said, if she was really my mother, she should come and sit down here and hear what I'm saying. You know that's what he said? Yes, sir. Yeah. I'm sure when they finish, maybe look at all of them, all the brothers and brothers that came with her. Say, God punish all of you. <laughs> if you drag me here again, see embarrassment for my soul. Because when the Holy Spirit came, you know she was there waiting. Yes. Ah. She didn't follow them again. He said, these people. Faith killers, thank you. They joined me to their gang. They won't let me believe in the what Gabriel told me that time. I'm sure after that I said, I'm not following this way again. Say, my son, don't mind them. You know the way these people are. They are your uncles. Don't mind them. Don't mind them. <laughs> I'm sure. Oh God. Because the Lord did. Now, why am I saying that? He didn't even give her what you, you and I would have thought was common courtesy to go and say, What is the problem? They came and told him, Your mother is outside. He said, Who is my mother? Say, look for all the women inside here who are paying attention to what I'm saying and are obeying them. He said, that's my mother. Any one of them. That's the word of Jesus, not me. I didn't write the Bible. There's no portion of it. If I add to it, so I'm not adding to it. That, this was exactly what happened. What I'm telling you is that he was careful to give relatives distance when they were presenting themselves as faith killers. Every plan you have in life, you call your father first. You know your problem is that you're still a baby, you're begging for money. And so I was thinking that we will start doing tomato before they finish the importation, we should have started uh, the banning of the importation of paste. And uh, I said, you started again. This church you are going to is not letting you sit straight. You think, oh, it's an old man. He's killing you. Once we are hearing it, your faith is draining. Just simply learn. Next time you're a man, you have a wife. Join your hands with your wife. Pray at home. Let him discover what God will do in your life later. If you're a Christian, you don't take your matter to this, your so-called family for discussion. You inform them after it's been performed. People who don't... 
Christianity is not a relative religion. You know what I mean? It's not as if, if, if your father is a Christian, all your uncles are believers. No. And even amongst believers, were they not his disciples when Jesus chose only three because they had to raise the dead? Because he said, these other boys, they are going to weaken the faith. In this Mark chapter um, 8 we're reading, they brought a man for him to pray for. The Lord looked around. Looked at the crowd, felt the atmosphere, the atmosphere of the place, and he said, "I will not pray here." Told the man, "Follow me." They left until they had crossed the boundaries of the village. Said, "Stay here. Let me pray for you." If I say this, you surprise you. (laughs) He had to test whether the thing was working. He laid hands on the man first time. Say, "Are you seeing anything?" The man looks at men like trees. Yeah, praise God. The anointing has returned. Because if he had prayed for the man inside there, are you seeing anything? Nothing. Anything? Nothing. So this guy, follow me. When they got outside, I see men astray. Said the thing has returned. Because the ambience in the village was bad. <laughs> and when he finished healing the man, he told the man simply, "See that you tell nobody." He told them, told him. Read it. Let me not imagine it. Look down your Bible. Verse 25. And then again he laid his hands on, the eyes, on his eyes. And he looked intently and was restored. And began to see everything clearly. And he sent him home saying, Do not even enter the village. Did you see that? Yes, sir. That if you go back in there, the spiritual climate will remove the miracle you just received. <laughs> Listen, let me tell you, as a believer, there are family. If, there are times. If I say this, it will sound harsh. But there are times you just tell your family, say, "Is it Christmas? Are you coming?" No. Why? I have things to do. Easter, are you coming? No. Why? I have things to do. Next Christmas, are you coming? No. I have things to do. You can do this for 10 years and they will make up their minds something's wrong with you. It may have to come to that. In which you say to them simply, sorry, every time, you will know, I'm not telling all of you now, it will be fine reason not to go home. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> you will know when, anytime you come back, your faith is weak. Your faith is weak. You start falling sick anyhow. Is there, there are witches there. There are no witches there. There are unbelievers there. And your faith is not strong enough to overcome on the, all the unbelief. So go ahead and give yourself the work. A time will come when you'll be able to handle it. For now, I beg, I don't have time. But I can say this one to the category, especially if you're a man. You have a wife, you are settled somewhere else. Stop discussing everything with your so-called family because you make it before you make a decision. If you have to do that, you should not have married. You are not a man yet. That's what boys do. Between you and your wife, you cannot settle down, make a decision. And then out of court see later, when you've done what you want to do, inform people. You expect that, okay, let's see whether daddy will agree. Who cares whether he agrees? For this cause shall a man live 
people have refused to leave. No, go and read my book. Should I say yes? Second portion of it. I said, I said, look, they have not lived. You know, I added my own, you know, I keep on creating English to make my point clear. These people have not lived. They want to live. If your father must agree to a decision before you make it, before you take that step, you have not yet lived. You know what I mean, lived. I don't want to say left. I know the past tense of live is left, all right? This is not an English class. This is a spiritual class. I have to speak in tongues sometimes. <laughs> <laughs>